Hello, and welcome to We The Project's Roll Call, where we talk to an interesting and different entertainment professional once a week. We get golden nuggets of insight and wisdom about their journey and path and their experience in this thing we call entertainment. I'm your host, Matt McManus, and I've been doing a lot of different things in entertainment in both New York and Los Angeles for nearly 20 years. I'm pretty cool, but you know who's cooler? Today's guest. As long as I'm working, it's a, if it's a music video or, or it's a documentary or it's a feature or it's photography, as long as I'm working, I am happy. I'm 73 years old and I will never stop working. Today we're talking to George Chom Chom. He's been making films for decades and decades. Short films, long films, music videos. He's got an illustrious career on many different continents. He flies around the world doing what he loves, making films. And now he is in charge of the Asian American Film Festival in Hollywood every year. We are beyond excited to talk to him about his journey, his path, and to see what makes his brain tick and what makes his camera click. George Chom Chom. We are on the line today with, and forgive me if I mispronounce your name, please. Uh, your name is George's Chom Chom. Shamshu. Say it's that again, George, please. It's George with a silent S, and I'm going to, you're going to learn something new today. Thank you. Uh, George, George with an S is a man's name in France, and without an S, it's a woman's name in France. Okay. Yeah, and so Shamshum is Shamshum, just Shamshum. Same Shamshum, thing. It's, so it's yeah. George Shamshum. Correct. You are in good company. One of the interesting things about some of the people that we've been interviewing, every one of their names has had an interesting pronunciation. <laughs> I see. Thank you very much, and good morning all or good evening, wherever you are. I'm in West LA, West Los Angeles, California. How has the last month treated you, George? Actually, I, I can't complain, to be honest. I mean, it's been exactly two months this past Monday. And uh, I love home. I mean, even though I'm in the entertainment business and I'm a filmmaker and all the time, you know, all over the globe. But I love my home. I love to be home. But uh, mandatory, that's another story. Correct. Telling me stay at home, I found it a little bit difficult. But the only thing that really kept me sane is that I would every day go out and walk for a minimum of, of uh, 90 minutes. Hmm. And that really kept me going. I mean, really, that was that was something fantastic. And I caught up on my taxes. I was late, so I did my taxes 2018 and 2019, see? So it, there's a good in in things like this. Oh, there is there is definitely a silver lining to this moment. And, and there was a massive amount of difficulty in this moment, but it takes real character and an open mind and heart to see that silver lining. The fact that we are inside looking at ourselves in a way that we probably haven't in quite some time, if ever. I think culture and entertainment specifically and entertainers have been in the last, I'd say, 10 years self-consumed with stuff like social media, getting accepted or liked or promoting themselves. I do think that this moment is a chance for us to slow down, breathe, yeah. 
I agree 100%. I think, you know, I'm sure a lot of people are very unhappy, but if they sit down and think about it, I think it's a great time for reflection, great time to go back on your life. I come from a generation, you know, I'm a baby boomer, so I know that my generation up until about 1976, life was different. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people would say, oh, my generation was better, etc., etc. But guess what? I think one of the best generation was the baby boomers, the after war, after the war generation, because we knew the value of life. We knew what our parents went through. We know what the society went through. So I think it is a blessing in disguise what's happening. Of course, I had a lot of people criticizing me saying, how can you say it's a blessing? Well, I'm sorry, it is a blessing. So you can look a little bit into your inner self and see where did I go wrong or where what was the best thing I did. And I think this thing, you know, I'm, I'm an optimist. Okay. Sure. Yeah, yesterday, I wrote on Facebook, I just got tested and my test came positive for the optimist virus. Half of my friend, <laughs> half, half of my friend, instead of reading completely, they went crazy. They started calling me, etc. Oh my God, I'm sorry. We're praying for you. I said, guys, can you read the whole thing? It's only two lines. I wrote virus optimist. So I really hope that this period will teach us to be better people, will teach us to love one another, not just to love ourselves, because that's what's been happening the past Correct. two, three de decades. People don't think about others. People, they only think about themselves and the greedy become greedier and the selfish becomes more selfish. I mean, it's a sad world in a way, even though it's a beautiful world. Well, in many ways, it is a sad world. So I'm really praying and hoping. And again, I'm a very optimist. I think we will come out bigger, better, and maybe we can find also this thing that we lost, which is called family value. Yeah, I was just going to go there, actually. I'm a father. I have, I have a six-year-old son. And they say when you are looking for a, an, a school for your child at first, an elementary school or a preschool, to make a choice for that school and your child based on the smiles you see on the children when you walk through the door. And if the majority of the children are smiling, then that school is probably a better choice than others. Mm -hmm. I've noticed uh, if you look at the faces of children right now, mm -hmm. they're all happy, you know, because, well, A, they're not in school and that's something to celebrate as a child. And B, they're getting more time with their mothers and their fathers. You know, there are a lot of fathers that say work nine to five jobs plus that are now getting a real taste of parenthood seven days a week. And I think that the family structure will be forever changed based on this moment. And I think that that if we can affect the lives of the youth around us, then the future is safe. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And I loved what you just said. If you go to a school and you see the faces of the kids smiling, you probably cannot go wrong. I mean, you cannot take it as a face value. But yes, absolutely. That is important. And yes, also what's happening now with the kids, even though I know a couple of kids that they are antsy, they want to go back to school. But of course, they are happy to, to be home. And the parents are now parents, you know. So I think Again, there's definitely something positive about what's happening. Good. And I'm glad that you feel that way. And uh, I'd like to just go 
I have some questions prepared for you, sir. And I've, I've done a, a little research into your life and your career, and it's very impressive, very inspired, very inspiring. Thank and you. we can jump around. You know, the format of this is ever-changing. A question is, is meant to be a gateway into your life. So you can take this in any direction that you'd like. And, I, like um, I like that. I like yeah. that. Okay. And, and so um, the first question I have, and it, it's after reading about your life, I don't really know how you're going to answer this, so I'm interested. It's where are you from? And I wanted to ask you this because you're from a lot of places. So uh, to be more specific, where were you born? <laughs> and then where would you consider the place that you came of age? I love that. I love that question. Nobody has ever, ever asked me in 50 years in this business that question. And I think it's a very, very important question because where you come from and where you go during the years, that's what makes who you are. So I was born in Niger, N-I-G-E-R. It's West Africa. It was a French colony. My father came there. Okay, to, uh, we're Lebanese. Originally, we are Lebanese. Right. But my father was born in Brazil, came to Africa to start a business because, you know, most of my uh, people, the people from my village came to Africa and then went, the first generation went to South America, uh, Brazil and Argentina, Mexico, etc. And the second generation came to Nigeria and Nigeria and Niger, West Africa. My father came to Niger to start a business and met my mother who was born there of Lebanese origin also. And uh, at the age of four, they took me to Lebanon because schooling and of course my mother moved there with me and my sister and then later on we were three boys and two girls we lived in the city of tripoli but we come from a region up in the mountains it's homeis maziara it's uh see to, to go back a little bit in history to understand why this is happening you know we were uh, ruled for over 500 years by the turks you know the ottoman empire Mm -hmm. And of course, we, the Christians, we were, you know, the second rate citizen. So what happened with the Christians is they went up to the mountain uh, while the, the Muslims stayed in the city and thrived. And there was a, a lot of famine. So most of the Christian and the first one that left was in 1876. He left for Brazil. And that's how immigration started in Lebanon. Now, in Lebanon, we're about 4 million people. But outside Lebanon, we're 22 million people. Wow. Yeah. So then I went to school in Lebanon. And at the age of eight, uh, my father said, you know what? I want to put my son in the best school. You know, I'm going to find the best school in the world and put him. So he had a choice between England and France. And I ended up in France. And I did all my schooling in France, at the, in Normandy, at Ecole des Roches. Of course, it was very tough because I didn't have any family there. It was, you know, you know, not having your mother, your father, especially the mother, you know, it was, the pain was sometimes excruciating. But, you know, in those days, parents didn't think twice. They said, oh, by putting him in the best school, we're doing the best for him. But they forget the repercussion, you know, the impact, you know, of your feelings, you know. So I stayed in France. I did all my schooling. And, uh, you know, that's, that's an interesting story, by the way. You know, the school where I was was a, one of those, you know, where we were about 300 kids and coming from 
all over the world. And let's say our parents were well off. So we lived in villas, okay, like every 30, 40 in villas. And we had a father and a mother. And the first meeting, they said, guys, you know, a lot of your friends don't have family here. So please, during the weekend, take them out, uh, you know, invite them, you know, so they can feel at least some love and some attention. So like the first month, I was sitting on the same bench as a kid by the name of Benjamin Goodrich. And the kid was, he used to love planes, okay? And he would play with planes, etc. And then when the weekend came, he said, uh, I'm going to take you with me this weekend. And I said, okay. And I asked him, what do your parents, what do they do? And he didn't say it. He said, you'll see. I, I'm not telling you. So <laughs> lo and behold, when his mother arrived, I nearly had, had and I was, I was nine. Yeah, uh, you're, I, you're I, a boy. Yeah, I, uh, and when I saw his mother, I nearly had a heart attack. It was Olivia de Havilland. Mm. You know Olivia de Havilland, right? Yes. Yeah, okay, so Olivia de Havilland was his mother. His name is Benjamin Goodrich, but I did, I, later, of course, I understood what was going on. So since then, she took care of me for seven years. She would take me every other weekend when she was not working or she was not in Hollywood because she lived in Paris in those days. And what, she's an still, an, what an angel. You yeah, know? And, and she's, yeah, I know. She's 103 now, and she still lives in Paris. And unfortunately, I haven't seen her in six years now because she's not doing, you know, she's sure. not all herself, unfortunately. Yeah. So, and my friend Benjamin, who uh, became a teacher at Texas Am, something it's called like this, that famous Texas University, but he passed away about 10 years ago, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. So then I studied in France. Then from France, I went to England. And then from England, I went to Germany. No, sorry, Germany first, then England. Poland, Russia, in those days, you know, it was behind the Iron Curtain, and then back in France where I graduated in filmmaking. Amazing. <laughs> that's a lot. That's a lot of places. Yeah. I want to yeah, ask, yeah. ask you a bunch of questions about that time period, but we don't have that kind of time. But would you say that when you met her, could you correlate the love that you have for cinema to that moment in your life when you met her? No, not at all. Not at all. I, I, the first, many time I would ask my mother, I say, mom, how come I love the movie since I was a kid? Since I was, since I, I can remember. That's the only thing I wanted to do. I mean, I was four or five years old. Yeah. That was the only thing I wanted to do. And I would go every weekend to the, to the movies. I would wait for the weekend to go to the movies. No, it wasn't Olivia de Havilland, but I knew who she was. And Benjamin, when he said it's a surprise, he also knew that my love was always the way, because he would talk about planes, I would talk about movies. I mean, we yeah. were eight, nine years, 10 years, believe it or not. And that's the only thing I wanted to do was movies. So no, for me, meeting her was, I wouldn't even say it's a cherry on the cake. It's something out of this world because seeing her and talking to her every other weekend when she would come, mm. uh, and there was also Jaja Gabor, she would come and pick up her. Get out! Uh, Get yeah. out! Yeah, she had her. Uh, she adopted a kid <laughs> by the name of Andre, and Andre was one of my closest friends. And I did not know that Jaja Gabor was his, you know, adopted mother or whatever. So, for me. 
meeting those people was, and then Michelle Morgan too, same thing. Her son was in the school with me in the same house as me. So I was blessed. I'm telling you. I, I, I would say so. I was blessed to have all those famous people around me and growing up. And of course, it made that, yes, you are choosing the best business in the world. Go to the movies, just make movies. And that's what I did. And what about cinema made you want, specifically, made you want to devote your life to it? Let's say I, again, I'm blessed because my father and my mother never stopped me. Yeah, a lot, my, of parents, yeah. a lot of parents stop their children. Yeah, I think about they, this all the time. Yes, my parents never stopped me. He never stopped me when I tell him, okay, now I'm going to Moscow for six months to work with Andrei Tarkovsky. He would say, go. He would never ask me a question. He never asked any question, why are you going? He would just send me the money to buy the ticket and I would go. So they never stopped me to make movies, okay? And the only thing is sometime he would sit with me and said, don't you think you should graduate maybe in economy or, you know, a lawyer or something and then go to the movies? And I would tell him, yes, but then I wouldn't do it. And he would never, never criticize me, never. All my brothers went to the family business. I'm the only one who didn't go. And my kids also now are in the same, you know, the business in Africa, in Nigeria now. That's where we moved. So, yeah, I was the black sheep of the family. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, me too. So we have something going. Yeah, we do. We do. What's, what's your favorite area of production? What about the process of both pre- and or post-production do you find the most engaging? Well... First, I love the filming itself, the physical filming, because it takes me to another world. You know, I mean, uh, one day you're in the 60s, another day you're, you're in, the, in the Middle Ages. I love the physical shooting, okay? Mm. I mean, with Tarkovsky, when, we were sh when he was shooting Solaris, you know, we were in the future. So I like the physical filming, but one of my favorite time is the editing. Mm. Because you see the baby really growing. Right. And they, I've heard before, and I'm sure you've heard this before, that in the editing process or the editor, that's the final rewrite of the film. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, that's why actually many editors became great directors, because they have a vision of the movie. I'm going to say something that might shock a lot of people. I sure. think they have a better vision of the movie than you yourself. I wouldn't say even it's a comment. Sometimes it's not even complimentary. Sometimes they do come up with something that saves the movie. And it happened to me on a couple of times. There was a movie that came out maybe 10 years ago with Brad Pitt. I'm not going to be able to remember the proper name of it. It was, uh, it was a Southern movie. I forget the name of it. Anyway, it was the, the movie was in shambles. Uh, Casey Affleck was in it as well. And then my buddy that's an editor helped throw the whole thing together in the ninth inning. Like there was, it was not going to get edited and figured out a way of putting it together in a way that made sense. And they released it. So yeah, I've, I've seen that take place. I've seen what would be very confusing and or some kind of a mess get turned into something based on the expertise of an editor. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, editors are crucial. They are crucial. And also, of course, screenwriters are very important because I always say... You have a great screenplay, you can take any director. You have a bad screenplay, even if any big director today steps into it, he cannot save it. It's impossible. You cannot save a movie if the screenplay is bad. The screenplay is key. 
what kind of human stories are you attracted to, uh, attracted to directing or attracted to making a film about or even just watching on the screen? I love political thrillers. It's, it's my favorite genre. The least commercial, but for me, it's fascinating, especially when they are based on true stories and true event. I love that. It's, it's my favorite. Yeah. But I, I love every kind of movie, to be honest. I enjoy every movie and uh, I watch movies, you know, I mean, you have no idea. When I was a film student in France, I used to watch 900 movies a year. Do you believe that? Nine. I do. Well, I read your, I read your, uh, your list of favorite yeah. films. Yeah. You and know. I, yeah. And Sorry. yeah, I can believe that. <laughs> yeah. The, I still have the list with, you know, the book. I wrote them each year. I had a book and I write all the movies I see. And I, uh, you know, uh, raid them, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, so I love every movie. I, now I'm enjoying a lot, by the way, series, which I didn't like before, because before you had to wait. Now you don't have to wait. I just sit and binge and that's it. Yeah, period. I, 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 I do too. I, I do too. But I think we all are doing that right now. I, I think so, yeah. I would like to ask you, there's a new, speaking of, of binging, there's a new show on Netflix that I've begun watching called Hollywood, and it's about the golden ages of Hollywood, Yeah, from uh, silent films to talkies. There's a couple of storylines in there, and also some historic figures like Rock Hudson that are in there. And yeah. I don't know if you've seen it, regardless if you have or you haven't. In your experience, because you've been here for a long time, you've been creating for a long time, how would you say in the last 20 years the art of filmmaking has changed the most from your perspective? Well, first of all, I started watching it yesterday. I saw three episodes uh, and I'm enjoying it. it I mean, it's, a, it's a little bit far-fetched, I think. It's a little hyperbolic, yeah, yeah sure. But, but it's very enjoyable. The cast is fantastic. I love it. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, they're great. I mean, you know, uh, it, it is. It's uh, Ryan Murphy does always a great job. But, you know, when the digital era started, I suffered a lot because sure. I'm a celluloid person, okay? But I, I'm also a realist. And I know, uh, I was hoping that, you know, we would stay with celluloid and just the feel of it, you know, the touch of the film when you're editing it's different. And uh, when you hear the noise of the movie, you know, the, uh, the, the you know, when the movie is <laughs> yeah, going. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's different, different. At the beginning, it was very difficult for me to accept that. But now, you know, I understand. I mean, you, you work fast and then you have uh, everything. Uh, you can see it within two, three minutes. You can see exactly what you did. So I think the digital was the biggest change and challenge the past 20 years. Have you adjusted? Oh, completely, yes, yes. But it took me, oh God, it took me at least, at least, I would say six to seven years to adapt to it. I mean, even, oh, yeah. in, even in photography, I'm a, I'm a big, big fan of photographer. I love photography. Yeah. And, and that took me even longer. I just stopped taking photos with films about, what, three years ago. And there's a resurgence in it. I mean, I'm sure you know what Instagram is at this point. And a yeah. lot of the allure of that application initially yeah. was that you can make films look retro. Correct. Uh, you can make um, pictures, rather, look retro. Yeah, and correct. Like, oh, I can make this look like it was taken in 1966. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the, the younger generation out there failed to acknowledge is that this is beautiful because it was from a time that is timeless. Yes, you know? that's correct. It's um, different. Even the feel, the feel of, you know, seeing a 
35 millimeter is completely different. I totally agree. I 100% agree. One of your last films that you've made, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, is called A Journey into Faith. Yeah. Yeah. That, and you, you've been quoted saying that this is your most personal piece, and I believe it's a documentary. Could you tell me a little bit about that and why well, it's so personal to you? Well, it is still very, it's still my most personal movie. Um, it's a journey. I'm a Christian. I'm a Maronite Christian from Lebanon. Mm-hmm. And um, here um, I, uh, I am married to a Korean lady. We've been mm-hmm. married, you know, over two decades. And, uh, you know, I discovered the Korean church and, you know, they're, uh, you know, evangelical. I'm still in my heart, of course, a Maronite. This will never change. Sure. Uh, but that church, I discovered so much things that I did not know. And, you know, when you grow up Catholic. I was raised very Catholic, sir. Okay. So, so, yeah, I was in school in Lebanon in a Catholic school, France. It was a Catholic school. So I used to read the Bible. It was like stories for me until I went to that church and I started real deep Bible study. Then I discovered what the Bible meant. Sure. So when uh, our pastor decided to do a mission trip to Turkey, I, of course, jumped and I went with him. So, in fact, this movie is following the path of St. Paul. That's what the movie is about, is, uh, you know, going, um, to my, to my Christian, going to my Christian route. Catholicism, as you know, is very ritualistic in the sense that stand up, sit down, mm-hmm. repent, repent. Shake everyone else's hand, give them some money. Never mind. I'm not going to go into the, the, the all those logistics. And the, guilt. I, and the yeah. guilt feeling, of course. Anyway. Oh God, yeah. I, I mean, I, I know all about that, and um, and I've done some some journeyings uh, into spirituality outside of that, and uh, it's been been worth it. So so I I understand where you're coming from, and I look very much forward to to watching this this film. Yeah, anytime you want, I'll send you the copy. Yeah, yeah, I gotta say, I'm having a really good time talking to you. You, thank you. You, you know, you, you you got a lot to say, but it's all worthwhile. And one of the things we're looking for is just golden nuggets of information and or advice that we can give to young creators, filmmakers, artists of any kind. And and my next question falls in line with that. Okay. If you could go back in time, sir, let's say to when you were 30. Right. If you could just snap your fingers and you can go visit your 30 year old self and whisper something in that young man's ear in regards to advice or something to look out for. Would you have any bit of knowledge to instill in that young man that you now know? Uh, First of all, 30 for me, I was already completely adult. Okay, I would say Let's do that. Let's go to the early 20s to the 30s. Let's go to 20. Let's go to 20. Yeah, let's go from the 20 to the 30. Okay. I've done many, many lectures about movies all over the world, from China to Lebanon to France, England. And the key thing that I learned in this business, and I believe that 99.9, the secret of success is, I would always tell them, please, be humble because if you're on the and t- the top you can the way you went to the top you can fall down and break your neck so keep it simple keep it humble be good to the others because they will be good to you and that's what i that's the first thing i always tell them so for me okay. humility is number 1 agree and understand that's first and foremost 
We have a tendency to sometimes, if we experience a certain level of success, uh, let it go to our heads. And, oh God, yes. Yeah. yeah, and and because we feel like we've worked hard, and maybe that we deserve it. And I think, um, and I've and I've myself have experienced the fall as well from that from that plateau at times in my you know in in my initial years as an artist. And now I'm I'm nearly forty years old. I. I've arrived at a place of humility and of, be, of being able to be humble and to see the realities around me for what they are with my ego separate from my art. And that's a wonderful and calm place to be. I agree with you. I agree. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I learned it with my, <laughs> I learned from my experience when I was 22, you know, I, I know what it was. I suffered. And then when I opened my eyes and I saw that it was not even worth it. Yeah, I mean, the reality is you're not there yet. That's something yeah. that you got to tell yourself. You're not there yet because there really is no there. The journey is the journey, you know? Absolutely. You know, you've done plays, you've done music videos, you've done, obviously, we spoke about your photography. Is there a common thread to your work that would weave it all together, if you could articulate that? Is there some kind of message that ultimately you're trying to convey or in a, a set of ideals you'd like to leave with your work? Honestly, honestly... I don't care as long as I'm working. It's a, if it's a music video or, or it's a documentary or it's a feature or it's photography, as long as I'm working, I am happy. I'm 73 years old and I will never stop working. Now I'm, you know, the executive director of the Asian World Twin Festival mm -hmm. uh, here in LA. And uh, I will always work. And to me, I don't care as long as I'm working. You know, let me tell you, I have friends of mine. They come to me sometime and they say, George, we're going to shoot a movie. Would you mind doing this on the movie? I always accept. Sure. I, even though I'm a director and sometime I produce, I, do, I don't care. Even if he tells me come and carry the cables or work the camera or whatever, I would do it gladly as long as I'm working, I'm happy. Great. Well, tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., I need a key grip. Can you do that for me? Well, you chose one of the. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm zero. I'm totally, yeah. I'm, I'm totally kidding. No <laughs> Obviously, um, that's wonderful. You know, when I, I was so blessed to be welcomed onto film sets uh, as a young man, and I, I'm a worker. I, I come from a, you know, a, a blue collar, hardworking family, and I didn't mind helping anyone out with carrying things. And I, I, the other actors would look at me and say, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "Well, this needs to get done." And I, I just loved the being welcome in that creative space. And I think that we, if you are there, you should feel blessed and lucky and willing to, to pitch in, put some elbow grease where you didn't think that you needed to put it, you know? Yeah, yeah I, I agree. And I'd like you, to, we, don't, we don't have a ton of time left. I'd like you to tell me a little bit about this festival that you're a part of so that we can help you promote it if, if maybe. yeah we need a lot of promotion especially in los angeles believe it or not uh, la is our home i mean in fact calvert city is our home right uh, and this festival we started it five years ago uh, now we're on our sixth year this year it's in november uh, i mean hopefully it'll still happen in the theater it's at the arc light in calvert city and the um and our base is the Culver Hotel in downtown Culver City. This festival was born six years ago out of frustration uh, because um, Asians in Hollywood, we didn't have a place, you know, uh, and uh, not forgetting that we are 50 plus countries, you know, Asia. I mean, imagine 
50 strong countries and uh, 70 plus years, Asia won only, and uh, I'm talking about five years ago, Asia won only six Oscars. Well, now during those two years, we won two Oscars and we're becoming a force to, you know, to count on. Now people know about Asia, about Asian Americans. And that was, this is our mission is to have a place in the spotlight in Hollywood. Of course, I'm talking in in broad, in general. I'm, I'm not going into, uh, how do you call it, into details, because I could go on for another two hours. Sure. Uh, but uh, yes, we created that festival. Uh, so what makes us different from all the festivals in the world, uh, we're the only festival that caters the movies submitted to the Oscars and the Golden Globe. So in fact, we are the platform for those movies to go to the next step, which is the nomination. And it's been happening. We've did, I would say in all humility, we did make a difference in Hollywood. We did make a difference in creating a new, how do you say, paysage, a new uh, landscape in Hollywood. And I mean, look at last, only last year with uh, Parasite. I mean, it's incredible. Uh, so uh, we are partnered with the Golden Globe. We're very lucky. We're very happy to yes. have. Uh, we've been partners since the first day we started. And uh, now we are one of the three festivals in the world that offers a scholarship, a Hollywood Foreign Press scholarship, the Golden Globe. There are only three festivals in the world, uh, Venice, Toronto, and us, which is a great honor, especially knowing that we are a new festival. So yeah, that's what we do. That's our job, is to promote those movies to go to the next step, which is nomination and then winning an Oscar. Wonderful. And what is the a specific website for the festival? Oh, it's um, Asian World filmfest.org. Okay, great. And they can see all the program and everything. And this year, it's November 4th to November 12th, downtown Culver City. I would love to hopefully be lucky enough to attend that. And Well, and I hope so. You should come and do interviews because we have, uh, last year, we have no less than 26 filmmakers from Asia. Can you imagine all the podcasts you could do? Just think about I, I, you. You say the word. I'll be. I'll be there, my friend. Okay, I, 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 I hosted the Producers Guild uh, Oscar party yeah. uh, this past year, and uh, I'm no stranger to that environment. And that would be a pleasure. Yeah, no, I'll give you a, absolutely a pass. And then we have a beautiful lounge in the Culver Hotel, you know, where you know you can meet the filmmakers. And this festival, the first thing I told the team, you know. All my team, okay, we're about 30, they're all volunteers, starting with me. No one gets paid. Why? Because we believe in the mission. And we said, you know what? Money will come later. So we've been invested 100% into this festival. And my team follows me like you wouldn't. I'm, I'm so blessed to have this incredible team. And one of the things that I always tell them, please, Wait for the audience when they come out of the theater, greet them, talk to them, invite them for coffee. You know, so this is one thing that everyone that goes to our festival, they say, this is incredible. We feel like we are family. And that's what I want. I would never allow people to stand in line to wait to go in. No, I'm sorry. I would never do that. I think in a way it's like, you know, driving cattle and this I will not allow. So we are very personable or whatever you call it. And, you know, we we love people, we care for them, we listen to them, and we take care of them. Well, it's it sounds like having a sense of family around you, regardless of immediate or professional, is something that you 
you like to incorporate into all the arenas in your life. And that's something that I that I can identify with. And I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me and us. Have a great day. Thank you. And good luck. And we stay in touch, okay? Absolutely. Thank you. Ciao. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Roll Call Podcast brought to you by We The Project. If you are interested in becoming a part of the We The Project community, you can head over to WeTheProject.com and sign up for our newsletter. Thank you to Whiteheart Grove Productions, a partner in post-production for the Roll Call Podcast. Produced by Petros Media.